you look around and you see that you don't have it. So you ask yourself, why don't I have it as well? Mm -hmm. And in that moment, you have two choices. One choice is a righteous response. The other choice is one of the seven deadly sins and it's mentioned in the 10 commandments and that is envy. Hello and welcome to the Salty Pastor today on this wonderful Thursday. We are here with the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak, to talk about James, to talk about life, to talk about how to think and how we can get better at it. And today is the day where we like to kind of dive into application. On Tuesday, we talked a lot about the passage, James chapter 4, in detail. And today we're going to be talking about some real-world application and how it works out. Well, I'm glad to be here, and I'm so glad my son is with me today. He's just a fine young man, and we've been studying the book of James because we're challenging everybody to develop a personal spiritual growth plan for their life. And when you have a, a personal spiritual growth plan for your life, it allows you uh, to not only have a specific direction, uh, but it allows God to bring things into your life in a much more uh, accurate, efficient, uh, uh, some other words, it's just, it's just better because it's opening yourself up to what God wants to do. And you're focusing, setting goals, working towards those things. You know, Paul says in Colossians, he says this in Ephesians, he says, we have to actively take off the old and put on the new. And so a spiritual growth plan really helps you do that. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I, I thought one thing that would, Zach and I could talk about today is the notion that um, in chapter uh, four, beginning with verses one through three, he talks about there's a lot of fighting and a lot of division, a lot of quarreling. I look at our country today. I see that it's very bifurcated, meaning it's really uh, polemic. It's polling to two separate sides. There's not much uh, grace or middle ground anymore. You know, everybody is at each other's throats, it seems politically, and every it's infected everything, even our our sporting events now, and uh, across the board. And what James is saying is that the reason why this is getting so strong and powerful within us is because we live in a affluent culture where we can pursue material and you know, sensual desires in an almost unlimited fashion. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts, son, about the conflicts that we are and their relation to the, the uh, affluence of our own culture and our ability to pursue sensual desires? Well, I think on the one hand, like you said, the affluence does, it, it gives us more ability to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think really we can just do it for longer. Uh, I think every person in every society, you know, has always dealt with this, no matter how much poverty there is. Uh, even if you're poor, you know, or even if you have no means or no material goods, you can still pursue sensual desires. You just probably won't make it very long. Mm -hmm. Whereas in our society, you know, you can survive for a very long time because there's so much wealth all around us. Uh, on the flip side, I would say our society encourages in a lot of ways sensual desires. But again, I don't know if that's very different from a lot of other societies, no matter how much poverty there is. I think mm -hmm. in many societies, there's, you know, no matter how wealthy, no matter how poor, no matter what socioeconomic level, 
everyone is struggling to deal with the sensual desires that they face, and they have to make a choice on if they're going to follow those or if they're going to follow truth. So we always have a choice, mm-hmm. right? But if you live in an affluent society, uh, how do you think that that encourages a sense of entitlement? Well, when you see other people around it, you feel like, you know, you ask yourself, why don't I have that too a little bit more often? Mm-hmm. So. So, well, and I think that that's what's really important because then once you start uh, asking yourself, because I think what you said there is critical, you look around and you see that you don't have it. So you ask yourself, why don't I have it as well? Mm -hmm. And in that moment, you have two choices. One choice is a righteous response. The other choice is one of the seven deadly sins. And it's mentioned in the 10 commandments. And that is envy. Mm-hmm. Right. So what would be a righteous response to the question? Wow. I see everybody has this stuff and I don't. What do you think a righteous response would be? Well, I think a righteous response takes two things into account. It takes into account reality and okay. it takes into account God. So sometimes uh, the reason you don't have something is because you've made bad choices. Okay. <laughs> you know, and so maybe that's why maybe you've made poor choices. Maybe you've done something uh, that was either not following God or it was just not a good decision in mm-hmm. general. And so you do not have that. Maybe though, it's because God called you a different way. You know, okay. maybe he called you to do something else and you okay. have given it up. Um, uh, so our a- choices then have an impact. And so a righteous response to be, would be to that is, well, I can't really compare because this is a result of my decisions mm-hmm. or the career path that I've chosen or how God's led me to where I am right now. Yeah. uh, I listened to a podcast a while ago that a buddy sent me, and it was these two guys who met Harvard Business School, Mm -hmm. and they were both followers of Christ. So they, they one of their projects, they went and they ended up doing this massive project. It was like, you know, it's a master's of Harvard business or whatever. It's It's big. So it's a pretty big thing. And then they like did twice as much as they needed to because they got so interested in it. Mm -hmm. And what they were doing is researching like people doing charitable donations and wealth and all this stuff. And then after all this, they met with a guy who was doing like, I don't know if it was a nonprofit, but it was this group that was encouraging people to tithe and trying to help them do so. And he offered him a job. He offered one of the guys a job. He offered them both the job. And one of them came back and said, you know, I think where I'm at, God wants me to stay. And then this guy who was this engineer who he had, he had worked his whole life because he wanted to make a ton of money that he could save for his family as like a good nest egg and everything. Like mm-hmm. that had been his priority. He and his wife prayed and they were like, shoot, <laughs> God is calling me to give up this thing I've searched for because it was kind of a him thing, yeah. you know, and take this job. You know, he went from being a petroleum engineer, making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to working for a nonprofit ministry organization. Oh, my which, goodness. Mr. Pastor, how, how well does that pay compared to petroleum engineering? <laughs> There's a slight gap. There is a slight gap. Yes. So I think he took like, it was like one eighth of his pay. Or oh something, my goodness. Like a oh my goodness. Pay, but he recognized that God was calling him that way. Mm-hmm. And so for him to look up and say, why don't I have this? Why don't I have this money or this big nest egg I wanted to save for, mm-hmm. for my family? You know? That, there's a good reason. It's because he prioritized God. And that's awesome. You yeah. know, that is a good thing. Uh, but, you know, th- and so when we look around and we're asking why we don't have something, there is a reality that we should accept. And that reality is from God. And again, it could be because we have done something wrong or we've made a bad decision or we have done, so- you know, we followed our sensual desires and it messed us up. Or it could be because we followed God and God led us away from it. And in either case, 
that's on us. It's not on anybody else. And we should take ownership of that. Now, it's interesting because Karl Marx had a political philosophy. And what he did is he said, he looked at that situation where he would say, wow, this, these people have this and those people have more. And he, in his answer wasn't, well, it's a result of their choices. And he was at that time in the 1800s, he was partly correct because there was economically, there was all this holdover of feudalism and in feudalism, I don't think people understand is that feudalism is a high class form of slavery. People don't understand what feudalism was. And that is, is that the monarchy or the king in Russia was considered the czar. <laughs> they owned all the land. And then what they would do in order to get uh, support militarily is they would grant lands and titles to lords. Mm -hmm. And so these were lords and they would have a thing called a fife and they had these little fiefdoms mm -hmm. and they would then go into these lands and then they would get them to be economically productive. Mm -hmm. And so that Lord owned all of those people, the, all the mm -hmm. peasants, they owned them. And so those peasants, they didn't have any choice on uh, what they did for a living, where they lived, they couldn't leave. And if they ever went, you know, the Lord was called to battle because the Tsar or the King called them, then they would have to gear up and go off to battle. Mm -hmm. So, people don't realize is that Karl Marx had a part of what he was saying correct in that these people didn't choose poverty because they have no option out of it. They were still kind of owned by this class structure. And, but then he made a huge mistake because he then swung the pendulum to the other side and said, uh, that's because these is that nobody has a fairness you see, and so fairness, when you try to impose fairness on a group of people, that means that you are trying to work with envy. You're saying it's not right that this person has more than that person. Well, in, in some cases that can be true, right? If you are, I've been watching, um, 1883, you know, about this, it's a, it's a movie about the frontier and they're trying to go on the Oregon trail. And the problem they had is that some people had more food than others because they were stealing it from other people. Yeah. That's probably not a, not an honest way to get it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> then, but then some people have more because they did what they planned, they rationed themselves yeah. and then they went out and they would scavenge for extra. And so they worked harder. Yeah. So what, what Marx did was something is he took envy, right? So the people that weren't working harder, the people who weren't pulling their fair share, he said, the reason you don't have is because these other people who do work harder are oppressing you because this is a class struggle. Mm -hmm. And so he brought this notion in and he says, so what we're going to do is we're going to make the out equal outcome. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying everybody has equal value, we're going to make sure everybody has the same. And guess what? You know, everybody according to their need and, yeah. and so forth. And, and it's going to be great. And it turned out to be the most abusive, miserable thing that murdered more people than any ideology in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that whenever we look at communism or capitalism or any of these systems, we have to recognize that they are all encouraging something. You okay. know, we talk about, you mentioned how communism can is built in a lot of ways on envy because it purely looks at 
you know, the outcomes. perspective of out, but, but not just outcomes, material outcomes, material outcomes. Okay. You know, what, you know, one thing that I believe is a completely true statement. And I think anybody who's a true follower of Christ would agree with is the poorest man in the world who knows God is much better off than Jeff Bezos. Yeah. From everything I've seen, Jeff Bezos does not know God. <laughs> and so he, so Jeff yeah. Bezos with his hundreds of billions of dollars yeah. is worse off than the poorest man in the world who mm-hmm. has Christ. Yes. You know, and so when you look at human beings and you want to impose fairness and you want to impose equal outcomes, but only in terms of materialism, then that's, it just doesn't go anywhere. It's it's incapable of, because it's treating humans as purely a, this physical thing, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it boils life down to simply money, which is ridiculous. You know, it's like, that is not what life is about, you mm-hmm. know, on, on the flip side. And, you know, we talked on Tuesday about James chapter four, and he ends that chapter, his last little paragraph talks about, you know, you say you will go to another city and you will do business and make money, you mm-hmm. know, and you're being mm-hmm. arrogant and boastful. Well, you know, if, if you're in a capitalist society and you decide, well, you know, I want to be like Zuckerberg, so I'm going to go be a billionaire. And that's mm-hmm. all you care about? Well, guess what? That's also not good. You know, mm-hmm. these are all things that take us away from God. And it all goes back to what we talked about on Tuesday, which is we have the choice to succumb to our sinful nature and our sensual desires, or we can take the path of God. You know, and guess what? There is unfairness, whether it's in a communist society or a capitalistic society, there's unfairness. There are people who have generational wealth that most of us listening will probably never come close to. Mm -hmm. But that's also okay because we don't need it. And God's not necessarily calling us to that. Now, maybe there's somebody out there listening and God has given you a skill set or God has given you something like a winning lottery ticket and you're going to make a bunch of money. Uh, But then, you know, he's not just going to leave you there with it. He's going to ask you to do things with it, you know, and and it's, it's this individual thing that's, that matters for each and every one of us. And we just have to follow God through it. And if we succumb to envy or greed or anything, that is our sensual desire. And Mm -hmm. that is when we're going to be removing ourselves from God. And I think one of the things about, you know, uh, the insightfulness of what you're talking about is that as a society, we are moving more and more towards pushing envy and pushing these types of things. And that's as a result of our society has become less concerned about God Mm -hmm. and about uh, having any objective moral Mm -hmm. uh, absolute outside of our own wants and desires. And so I've talked about this notion of uh, meaninglessness Mm -hmm. and that's one of the outflows of postmodernism and the postmodernism I know is a massive philosophy. It's, it's actually kind of starting to die out a little bit and they're picking up some, some new things. But the issue of it is simply that since there is no, uh, absolute truth, they say there's no meta narrative Mm -hmm. that, that your narrative is supreme. And the problem with approaching life where you believe your truth is the ultimate truth is that that really enhances within our society, everybody's pursuit of their own self ish desires there you lose the notion of community Mm -hmm. through sacrifice and altruism and i think what's so fascinating about communism and socialism is that what it does is it doesn't uh, enhance people's capacity to go out and grow themselves and then contribute 
right? And build community. What it does is it causes people to be envious of everybody else. It creates a uniformity, not a diversity. And in doing so, it becomes extremely oppressive. And you look at the economy of the USSR and how it just collapsed. You look at Venezuela and how their entire economy collapsed. You look at Cuba, who's never had an economy Mm -hmm. for the last 50, 60 years. And so it's really quite fascinating how this notion of envy, if you abide by it and pour yourself into it, even as a society, is that it really, you know, hurts everybody, you know, it pulls everybody down. Now, as an economist, you know, you got a degree in economics and Mm -hmm. mathematics and all these other really smartical things. How, how does, how, how does an economy raise everybody uh, in regards to allowing people to have the freedom to kind of pursue some of their own interests. Well, I mean, you're pushing towards capitalism there, uh, yes, <laughs> which I understand, but I think it's very important for all of our listeners to recognize that whether socialism, communism, feudalism, capitalism, all of these things depend on you, mm. whatever it is. You know, the, the reason why socialism and communism Uh, have been so negative in general and have collapsed countries is because they are explicit about their disdain for religion. Mm -hmm. They're explicit about their disdain for wealth. Um, Now, capitalism, you know, America has been a capitalist country for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, it is it at this point implicitly rejects God. But because, you know, that's not quite as bad as explicitly rejecting it. Mm -hmm. So it's been a little bit better. And then it also does allow for freedom and everything. But you know, if you want to look at examples of, you know, capitalism gone wrong, uh, look at Qatar. Mm-hmm. You know, the World Cup is going to be there later this year. I don't know if you're a big so- – if you're someone who thinks soccer is silly, great. Don't watch any of it. Uh, yeah. But uh, if you care at all about soccer or even if you don't, um, you know, Qatar is not a big country. And they've been building tons of big giant soccer stadiums to host the World Cup. And so they brought in a lot of migrant workers for that. Mm. And the death rate of these migrant workers is very high. Because there are no safety standards, all they care about is building these stadiums as quickly and cheaply as possible. And I would say that's an example of, you know, a negativity of capitalism. You know, Thomas Jefferson said that the Constitution was written for a moral people. And we have to recognize that, yes, socialism and communism, I would say, have an especially negative side where that, you know, Karl Marx called religion the opiate of the masses Mm -hmm. and believed that everyone should be an atheist. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's worse than than capitalism. But it's important to remember that even within capitalism, we have examples of, you know, slavery was capitalism in a way, you know, Mm -hmm. they just decided to own people and treat people as, you know, a tool. And, And all of these things were wrong and evil and terrible, you know, and you know, that slavery led to the Civil War. And as mm-hmm. you pointed out, socialism and communism led to a lot of people being killed mm-hmm. and then economies collapsing. These are all negative things. And all of them go back to, are you following your sensual desire or are you following your soul's desire? Mm-hmm. Because if you're following your sensual desire, well, in capitalism, you're going to be greedy. In socialism, you're going to be lazy and want other people to do your work for you and be entitled. You know, it, it, no matter what it is, and you know, you can go back and look at, uh, systems, economic systems of the past and point out how they show different sins and they show different sensual desires. Or what you can do is you can choose to follow God and prioritize him and recognize that, yes, some systems are better than others. And capitalism, I would say, is certainly better than socialism and communism. 
But also, the best system is the one where you follow God. However you get there, you know, no matter what it takes, you know, just like the, the, the poorest man in the world uh, that knows Jesus is better off than the richest man who doesn't. Also, somebody who knows Jesus in a socialistic country or a communistic country is much better off than someone who doesn't in a capitalistic country. Yeah, and I think that that's really important to understand and is that this is why uh, a church community is such an upstream type of entity. And that is, is that what we have to remember is that systems are downstream and systems can be used in all kinds of nefarious ways. Mm -hmm. And so the key is, is you want to adopt the one that can be manipulated the least. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think uh, if you listen to Milton Friedman and some of his stuff, as he says, look, it doesn't matter if a person is driven by radical self-interest or altruistic serving his community under a free market economy, that person can get the same result for the benefit of the community. Whereas in communism, it doesn't allow for that. It yeah. requires uniformity of thought and uniformity of practice. Um, it uh, is the uniformity of, of uh, behavior and morals and everything else, which tends to do what? It tends to suppress. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really quite fascinating. But any ism, whether it's socialism, communism, free market capitalism, whatever you want to talk about from an economic standpoint or a societal governance standpoint, is that without an upstream entity that's saying these are the most important things in life, uh, the quality of who you are as a human being, do you know God, where your ethics come from, what are ethics, where do your morals come from, is there an objective morality, what is the definition of what it means to be a human being? Without any of those things, what ends up happening is that we can get downstream and get radically lost. Yes. And so I think that that's one of the biggest things about what James is teaching in chapter four is he says, basically, we need to not be so full of ourselves, so arrogant. We need to, he says over and over again, we need to be humble. Yes. And I think, I think humbleness is a simple decision sometimes that just simply says there is an objective truth outside of me mm -hmm. and I can't make it up. Mm -hmm. I have to submit to it. I, yes. I, it's like gravity. It doesn't matter how I feel about it doesn't make it any less true. It doesn't matter whether I believe in it or not. doesn't make it any less true. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether I want to abide by it now and then or not then or whatever, or my philosophical or whatever I think about it is all irrelevant. Gravity's gravity. It's constant. It never changes. And so in the same way, there is a moral absolute truth. It's objective. It's outside of our material realm. It comes from God. It never changes. And because of that, we should submit to it. Mm -hmm. And in that process, we discover true freedom. It's when we try to deny that it exists, that we create all kinds of divisions and mm -hmm. hatred and all of these isms get so radically off track and are so damaging. Mm -hmm. So how was that? Pretty good. You, j you jump on that with me? Yeah. Okay. Well, everybody, I just want to say thank you for being here today on The Salty Pastor. And I want to encourage you to try to write your own personal spiritual growth plan for 2022. It's, I think, a powerful thing that is going to make a huge difference in your life. There's a special assessment tool or design tool that can help you write your own plan. You can find it on our website. So please go there on the front page. If you've got to scroll down just a titch, you click on it, it'll take you right there. And it has 
all the steps. There should be four steps about now. And at the end of this, there should be a total of five steps. At the end of this, we're going to bundle it together and we're going to make it available in digital copies. And you can even order a paper copy or a hard copy if you would like. And I think that this would help you in your own journey of faith, because here at the Salty Pastor, our goal isn't to tell you what to think, but it is to help you think for yourself. It's your faith, so grow it. And here we are signing off. Blessings on you.